0: Hello and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. All right, ladies and gentlemen and whoever else is listening, my guests today are Steve and Jolene Randall, longtime friends of me and my wife, and uh, they're here today because um, well, first of all, welcome, welcome you too. Thank you for being here. Thanks. Thank you. Um, eight years ago, you lost your 17-year-old son to an accidental overdose, and there's so many questions that you know. Those of us who have not experienced that, I mean, we knew Jake, uh, of course, and it was heartbreaking for us. But as a parent, um. I can't imagine that whole, the hole that that leaves in you. And I'm sure people will just want to know, you know, again, we don't have to go in in the timeline of, you know, logical progression, but tell us, you know, just kind of give me a little high high level view of how that all came down and and then we can dig in, get into the weeds from there.
1: Okay. Um, I'll go ahead and start. And, um, It it was, it's still surreal. I would come home from work and, and uh, walk through the kitchen and I was a little bit, I was late. Um, I had to take care of some stuff in Salt Lake. Um, And I, what was interesting looking back, of course, um, those things that I took care of were things that absolutely needed to be taken care of before I wasn't going to be able to have the time to do so, which the next few hours took care of that. I I wouldn't have had. And so I uh, had felt an urgency to take care of some things. And then, so I got home late as I walked through the kitchen. I saw him laying on the couch. He had a remote control. The TV was on remote control in one hand and phone in the other. And, and he was asleep. And so I thought, and I just didn't disturbing when I'm back and, and uh, we were chatting and a little bit later, I don't know how much time had passed, but um, a little bit later, we heard this horrible snoring, snorting, snoring, gasping, and I went out there and found him gasping well, it was the, those last breaths and just screamed, call time, call 911 and, um, Jake's not okay. Jake's not breathing. I don't, and, uh, kind of went from the night, the nightmare began. Um, so at that point, um, we'd all gathered out. We were, Steve was doing CPR and, um, he stopped breathing. Um, paramedics came and uh, they worked on him. We heard him by the time out by the time they took him out to the ambulance. We heard him say, "We got a pulse." Uh, so in our minds, at least my mind, I thought they, they saved him. They they saved him and uh, went down to the American Fork Hospital and. Uh, that point they said we really need to have him go to Utah Valley Regional and try to uh, get the swelling down in his brain and um, just an interesting side note when we walked into the American Fork Hospital we were greeted by a gal who said come on back and took us to a little room and she found out she was a social worker and it, it, it was just interesting. Cause we felt like we were invited to a party that we didn't know anybody or what was going on. We think we were thinking that everything was going to be okay. And they were there to support us because he was dead on arrival which we didn't know. So we had heard they got a pulse. So that was really confusing and interesting um, and frustrating to us because people were just there but didn't ever say it or tell us what was going on. Um, so we still thought there was hope. And he's and, okay. uh, yeah, that he was going to, be
2: okay. Well, I think we were not um, thinking in terms of our child is in an overdose. We just thought something went wrong and he his body freaked out. And we knew there's a possibility that he'd been doing some drinking and he'd gone down to Salt Lake and had a girlfriend down there and they would kind of sneak off here and there. And he was... Just being naughty, but we had no clue that um, the depth of what was going on. Yeah, right behind our behind the scenes, what was really going on? And as as that came to fruition, we all of a sudden learned that not only were we experiencing this, but several others at the school that he went to was all, were also experiencing. Some challenges like that
1: as we were driving to Provo I started calling his friends and uh, called one friend and and by now it was late I don't even remember but um, his mom got him and I said what would Jake be taking what what did what would Jake have taken or what was he doing and um, and the boy told me and I was in shock. Um, I think both of us were because we had not even a glimmer of thought that that was um, that heroin um, would be on something new. yeah, and effect and in our family, we're both educators, uh, both involved, and not that you don't you know not that we ever thought oh that will never happen to us it was something we really maybe naively didn't consider yeah we could be next and you guys were, we were.
0: you guys were majorly involved in his life if i remember okay. correctly
2: right you know, he was he was wrestling at that time, weightlifting, planning on going on a mission. He'd already told us it was going to be to Brazil, and he had all these things. And so for us, we were looking at it as it's kind of like going to the buffet before you go on your diet. He's being naughty, and he's kind of listening to the wrong kids, but, you know, when you get caught shoplifting, you don't freak out and think um, that um, he would be in a position where he's doing things that are not, you know, addictive and harmful for him. We had no idea. And personally, I grew up in Las Vegas and I well, just, the stories I've heard about heroin, I'm terrified of heroin. And uh, I would never dream that that would be something that could work its way into my home
1: right. so by the time we got to Utah Valley, um, he was in the trauma unit, and a um, couple several long days where I had um, we started by morning had some uh, we had great family support, great friends' support. Um, So we weren't alone there, which was really, really nice. Um, So basically they were waiting to see if his, um, when they came in the morning, I think is when they said, yeah, the brainstem, he was without oxygen too long and brainstem and anyway, it wasn't, there wasn't the activity and they were doing several uh, tests and um, trying to bring his, his body temperature to the correct temperature. Um, I don't remember at one, po- at one point, was it in the, I don't remember, it was early hours or later in the day, but um, when they started talking about um, uh, organ donation and that they had told us that there really wasn't any, he, he really was kind of already gone, but they had to, before they could declare him gone, of course he was on all the life support machines so that was keeping him going keeping his body going but they said that brain stem activity and wasn't happening and so at that point we were um, talking about organ donation and and uh, we knew that would be important to him and um, as a family we felt like if something good could come of this that somebody else could have a better life and uh, be saved. Um, that was something we definitely wanted to participate in. And so we were grateful to have that opportunity. Well, during the course of the next couple days, um, we pretty much opened the trauma doors. Um, the password was on Facebook, we found out, but we probably had about 200 Lone Peak students and others uh, come to the hospital.
0: Which is unheard of in an ER or in, in, in intensive care. It was ICU, right? right. Yeah. He was in Yeah.
1: And they were really good about it. And of course they didn't come all at once, but um, kids would have the password. They'd come in and there'd be five, five or six or eight at a time. Um, and I think the point that they let that happen was because he was gone and we were just waiting for his body temperature to be whatever point it needed to be to declare him gone. So we felt like it was important to allow the kids to come in and to see him, um, to say goodbye, hopefully to, um, save somebody else to say, Hey, wow, I don't want this to be me. But that was something we said to every single kid that came through, please do not keep, your friend's secrets. So we found out later that so many knew um, I knew other friends that of mine that said oh I or people I'd known through the years oh I didn't realize he was yours yeah I knew that and it was just interesting that so many knew and we didn't. And so that was a little frustrating.
0: Yeah, is your question like, if all you people knew, why the hell didn't somebody say something somehow, some way?
1: Yeah, nobody. Never, we never heard a whisper about it. And I think... And well, look, okay,
0: looking back, I and mean, I know you're pretty vocal, but if you knew of a, someone's child, would you have said something to the parent? And maybe that's the people's, a lot of their position is, I don't want to get involved. I don't really know. I've just been hearing things. Would you have said something?
2: I absolutely would have, but I think that you're kind of going right in the direction with it, that it's intimidating for people, and then all of a sudden it just became too late, because it's a really hard subject for somebody to bring up that um, says that, and I think the reason it is, is there's, um, as educators, we call them helicopter parents, and that is, if you go out and you say to somebody your kid's doing something wrong, they like snap on you because their kid walks how on dare water. You. Yeah, how dare you and so most people can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, he's how dare you. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, exactly. How dare you? And um, so I think that's what makes people apprehensive. And you know, where you can't wear a sign that says, hey, tell me anything about my kids, but that's what we all really need to do. Um, and I think for people that are listening to this, that that could have been a big difference. If somebody would have just said, you don't know this, but I do. Trust me, this is going on. Um, as teachers, we know to believe the teacher before the student. So um, I think if we had had a heads up, we might have been able to um, get help to, and right yeah. do something different
1: um when you said what i've said something i think in my profession elementary principal i'm used to delivering rough news to parents um and it is interesting that you know it's always the teacher's fault it's always my fault it's anybody on on, on many parents not everybody but on on many parents they their child's on such pedestal that no it couldn't possibly be mine And so I think in a personal setting, it's harder for me to do than the professional. I put on the professional hat, I can say whatever I need to, but it's tough in a personal. So previously I would have maybe struggled with it, but now after having lived this nightmare, absolutely. But beforehand, maybe not. So I think that's difficult because we're so afraid of the reaction of the parents that then they're mad at you and how could you say something and it can destroy relationships now I don't care if it destroys a relationship if I can be instrumental in helping to intervene or bring attention to something that could save a life so of course hindsight's
0: yes of course.
2: always easier, always easier. Um, so I think, um, a couple things, um, that I'd like to touch on because we've kind of gone right to the end of the story here a little bit was along the way it was just being naughty, which I can remember that he had some buddies and they would go around the neighborhood and sneak into people's yards and turn their power off. And then it was, um stealing things from Walmart and it was just you could call it um teenager stuff. Mischief. It's not stuff that they should be doing. But you also say, oh that's hilarious or let's see if we can get away with this. They actually um stole a big screen TV and they went there in the middle of the night and um put it in a cart, took it out to the garden department. One of the guys on the other side of the fence. They reached it over. And the next thing you know, my son has a brand new TV that he supposedly got a great deal on KSL for. I think so, I great, yeah,
1: deal. great deal. So, and speaking of that, there was, looking back, there were so many little things. Like, of course, we didn't think to, he's shoplifting. Oh, he must be a drug addict. You know, we didn't we didn't jump that line. We didn't have a clue. But when you look back and look at the behaviors and then the progression of the behaviors, like at first, he, Steve said, it started out as a little naughty, but in reality, then when you see by the end, no, that's called theft. You yeah, know, it escalates. Um. So, and and it was really difficult as parents to have to turn her own kid in basically um for that theft and and you know the the shoplifting um the other thing we weren't aware of is he would um his friend would come over and then somebody would come to the front door and i'm like hey what's going on and he's like oh i'm I'm selling this for my friend Uh, and we put it on facebook or KSL or whatever, it's usually Facebook, and somebody would come to the house to buy whatever these kids will, they were earning money, and so things like that, if, for other parents, if you start seeing um, a progression of behaviors, a, uh, other ways to earn, quote, work and earn money, um, a need for all this money, all of a sudden, sudden um that's that's an indicator that there could be a a a bigger problem so we didn't know and so hopefully if that can help somebody else um jumping back prior to this two years previous he had uh shattered his wrist and he had a couple of surgeries to repair this wrist and You know, looking back, we're like, yeah, those pain pills, and he was really wanting. And then he had his tonsils out too, so there was a couple different things. And so he, looking back, he he got mad at me when I after a couple of days I I wouldn't give him the pain pills, but I'd give him the you know the ibuprofen and. And he would say, you just want me to be miserable. I need that other stuff. That was really good. That was that helped me better, helped me more. And and I'm like, no, you, you know, the doctor said this is this is what you need to take. So, you know, that that was another looking back, but again, no clue that uh, th- that that was uh Maybe, maybe the start, maybe the introduction. I don't
2: know. So it was really shocking after he had passed and we um, went into his room and started to do what you do when something like this happens. And um, I uh, had his scriptures and uh, I opened up his scriptures and in the middle of it, I found um, the foil that had been burned and um, some other stuff. Um, a needle. Needle and yeah, that um, was a very. Um, it was a moment there of reality because uh, he picked the smartest, safest place. Who, who would go snooping in somebody's scriptures? And so that's how it was able to. Kind of um fly under the us, radar yeah. but yeah it's uh when when they get into that situation um they get aggressive like my wife was saying uh and they're the victim and everybody around them it's um you know picking on them that kind of thing so um when we talk about kids making choices and maybe not so good choices even now for other people, um, I, in retrospect, I would say that if my kid is doing things um, that are way out of the norm, I, you might wanna have some random testing. You gotta have something that, um, helps you and it's real hard to go to the school and say hey does anybody know what my kids are doing you know so we kind of got to figure it out on our own and um I think the worst thing that we did that where we contributed the most was um as a fourth grade teacher and my wife being a principal, she was out in Salt Lake, I was in Pleasant Grove. He had too much time without us. He was home and he could be bored or whatever, but he basically knew there was this window before we were coming home and he could have friends over and he could do this and he could do that. And he knew that he was safe. So. you know, now you could say, well, um, if if we're noticing that going on, maybe we, you know, need um, a little camera system, a security system in our home. Um, I don't know that there's a particular way you got to kind of look at your situation and say, um, what what you kind of feel is something that gets you into the kid's life. I would drive him. Every morning to seminary, I would talk with him and um, encourage him. And I always felt like he was just being a punk and he was in a funk. I didn't really think that he had gone to extreme levels. So I just kind of felt like I was doing what I should be doing with him, which is... um, be in that ear to listen and just kind of chatting with them, taking them, getting them off to school, to have a good day, and then I would go to school. but um, that being said, I thought I was doing the right things, but it wasn't enough. And so I think what we have to do is we have to give ourselves permission to snoop, to impose boundaries to investigate and do all of the things that we can do so that we have the best opportunity to parent. Right.
0: Yeah, there are no uh, privacy rules in a home when you're the parent. Oh,
1: we hear that so we t- Oh, I can't um, yes, violate, can. that's their private. Hello, they're a teenager, there's no such thing yeah, as you private. Pay for
0: you pay for everything, there's no privacy. Right.
1: So one of, one of the major things to me that happened after, we're kind of jumping back and forth, but going back to when we were at the hospital and all the kids came through, um, you know, we, we would really talk to the kids and just say, you know, don't keep the secrets, get, get help. Um, you think you can help your friend? These kind of things are too big for you. You, you can be the friend and the best thing you can do is to get them the help. So that was, um, it proceeded through the weekend and um, the assistant principal called me on, I think Tuesday and said, you can't even believe what's happened. And um, she said over the Monday, after uh, after all the kids at the weekend, um, 17 kids came forward to either ask for help
2: or get help
1: or, sorry, to um, say that their friends needed help. And um, I had a chance to go over and sit down and, and um, talk to her and When I went in I first talked to the principal and he looked me right in the face and said we don't have a problem here and I looked at him and I said you're saying that to me you're you're saying that to me that you have a problem and he said well I grew up in Hawaii with drug addicts and I know what drug addicts look like and I said oh do they look like Jake do they look like the other two kids this year in six weeks, the last six weeks that have died is, is that what they looked like? Um, I said, it's not, I mean, in the past I'd always thought of heroin addicts or drug addicts, they're anorexic, they're on a, uh, in the alleyway with on an old mattress shooting up or whatever, you know, not these functioning high school kids. And, um, the group that goes to seminary, guess what? What was it, 93% of the school attended seminary. And there's the group that would go get their shoot up and then head over to seminary. It, It, you can't, you can't define it. You can't say this is what drug addicts look like. They look like our kids that are going to school every day. They look like our kids that are at church they look like our kids that are working in, in fast food or, or other jobs. There are kids. And um, you know, like I said, we were we were so blown away that how could we have been so blind? How could we have been so stupid? What 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 else could we have done? Why didn't we do more? Um and that that was a really tough period of we didn't do enough um but honestly we don't we hindsight you know maybe you could have done more but at the same time he made his choices and so it was hard as we dealt with it all but to try to figure out what what could we do and then at this point now what could we do to help others not go through what we did um when i went back to talk to the assistant principal um i was so happy to see her taking action and um, all the kids that had come in to get help or to um, get their friends to get help I i was just she was thrilled and others continued to to come in the thing i really was concerned about is that their attitude over there that We don't have a problem, but we have a police officer in the building and he's in full uniform. And it was, it it appeared to be more of a uh, punishment mode instead of seeking out to help kids. And that was the thing that we begged her um, to emphasize is to help the kids. My brother-in-law had been a police officer, or is a police officer, and he was a resource officer in high school for nine years. And he knew every kid. He walked the halls. He talked to kids. He built relationship with kids. He wasn't in a uniform. He was in a polo shirt. It said police. He had his gun. He had, you know, his badge and all that, but he wasn't in the full uniform. So it looked less... Uh, he means- was more he was more approachable, but the kids came and told him everything and and their emphasis was to get the kids help and Yes, I understand they you know they have to do the legal part and the law part, but most importantly, we're talking about these are these are our kids so um I felt like at that point um she was very responsive and she continued to keep in contact with me and just touch base as far as what they were doing to um they were asking for more help um and to get more uh police presence in the building as far as a new officer we even went to a city council meeting and spoke out about the need and that that eventually was funded um at that point we didn't hear much more after that so anyway my point was help the kids don't just try to punish them
2: so one of the um big problems that you're having this whole epidemic with um these opioids and heroin and everything else is that price point because um our boy had his um he had an accident on his um skateboard and um took the pain pills and that just opened up the appetite for it and when the the price for pain pills was very expensive even in the kids market You know, the the drug market, whatever you want to call it out there, but
1: other um, than the ones they stole from their parents' medicine cabinets, those were cheap.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um, heroin was the equivalent or even better, and at a a way lower price point, you're talking about $10 to um, be able to get high a couple times. And so um, the kids could afford that. So if you have a supply and you have that low price point like that, um, you know that there is a problem. Um, so the best we could hope for is to try to manage it as effectively as possible and keep it out of the school as much as possible. But um, I think that was a real big deal there that um, it's so readily available.
1: So we were asked to come and talk to a youth group um, when somebody's home and uh, share, share our story. And they were kids from the school. And we asked the kids, how many of you know that if you wanted to get stuff, who you would go to and who, where it was available? How many of you in the room? Every single one of them oh except one kid who was a homeschool kid every single one of them raised their hand and the parents in the room their mouths dropped some of them they were shocked that their kids even knew somebody and and that was an eye-opener and and i think that's an indication too of our community i probably maybe well i i wouldn't have been shocked if he knew but um I certainly didn't think it would have been my kid, but, um, but as parents, I don't know how we're missing the cues or if we're just living in the world of not my kid. Um, it came out in that meeting too that the kids said, Oh yeah, there's kids up in our neighborhood who have parties and they called it the, you get what you get. Um, and you don't throw a fit or whatever party. And, They would all bring things from their parents' medicine cabinets and dump them in a big glass bowl, stir it up, and then have a little serving per person. You get what you get, and they would have these parties. And I I, I can't even wrap my head around that. And that's just the danger—the
0: danger danger factor. My gosh,
1: like Russian roulette you know who knows and what combinations and and um you know i don't know and and we learned in that meeting too there were two two kids kind of in the immediate neighborhood of where we were that uh overdosed and were actually saved but it was very hush hush and no one could talk about it and no one could share the information and It's like, we can't live like that anymore. We've got to help each other. We've got to share information, support each other. And I don't know if it's that we don't want to tell because it it might be a reflection on someone might think we're bad parents. And how could it be us that had a kid that overdosed? I think all of those things probably run through people's heads It run, you know, it certainly ran through ours. Um, but we got to help each other and we can't be afraid to talk about it. When people heard about it and we were on the news and they would say, Oh yeah, Lone Peak. Oh yeah. I, I, I worked in Salt Lake and people up there would say, Oh yeah. Every, my kids always tell us how bad the drug problem is at Lone Peak. And I'm like, what? You got to be kidding me. I had no idea.
0: Yeah, you're right there.
1: So, yeah, it, and and I don't know that it's still talked about.
2: So, along those lines, when she's saying that Mm -hmm. as parents, we need to work together, you know, there's that saying, it takes a village to raise a kid. And in this instance, it's really true. Um, The thing that I always, like to refer to is um, the safety of the herd. Um, I like to watch uh, National Geographic and nature films, and you'll see that the predator singles out the one that does not... The loner. <laughs> the loner, right, that's out there and um, kind of a little rebellious, so to speak, and is, knows better, and has been in the herd, but yet um, they go off and they put themselves in this position and that is usually who the target is. So likewise with our kids, um, whether the herd, I mean, there's so many different things that the herd can be. It can be sports and it can be activities and hobbies, um, but also, You know, church, neighbors, we all need to be looking out for each other. And when our kids start to want to be alone too much and they start acting depressed and quiet and changing their appearance, those are all signs that are telling you that something's um, going on.
0: Something's going on, yeah
2: right and so so we have to be able to um step out of our natural thing which is that only happens to other people i live with this kid this oh he's not doing that because every day people are dying um in huge numbers from these drugs And here we are eight years later in our case, it's uh, only gotten worse. And so we have to um, incorporate some strategies if we start to see those behaviors that says, um, I want to give my child some autonomy and independence, but on the same token, it can't come at, the expense of knowing this epidemic is out there and um, accessible to my child. And I'm going to just deny it because it isn't obvious to me. I, You know, um, these days, there's so much technology available to both kids and parents, you can know where your kid is all day, and there are things that need to be monitored. Otherwise, um, you're you're going to find yourself on that slippery slope.
0: So, let me talk a little bit about just the pure losing of a child from a parent's perspective. I try to imagine any one of my children gone. And I, it, it tears, it just, I, I can't even think about functioning. How, how did you guys go on after that happened? I mean, what kept you going? I mean, tell me, tell me as much as you want to share what that was like and then how it's like today.
2: So I, I think in our case, our blessing was spiritual that became a spiritual experience for us because it was all we had. That was our core. So um, for me, it was a chance to draw closer to God. And um, it was a chance to allow him into my life. And I felt like in a different way than I was normally used to, but I felt like the people that came, the things that were said, the things that were done, um, and there were just so many tender mercies. And I'll let my wife share a few of those. But um, uh, for us, the way that we got through it, more than anything, was spiritual. But in spite of um, having those spiritual tools, you don't get to dodge the um, statement that's been made, which is a parent should never have to bury a child. Um, That process you're going to grieve and that takes quite a while. And you just have those little reminders of things and, um, it's a very trying time so to set yourself up for success um, in our case it was spiritual and it was family and friends that were real supports and um i think also when um we realized early on and we had a discussion that we had to weather this together and we didn't have time for me. So for my wife I told her that um, I'm there for her no matter what and likewise her for me we had to be able to rely on each other. We couldn't get mad at each other um, in that sense so um, because that other person's hurting so you kind I kind of felt like I put myself aside and made sure I was looking out for her. And likewise, I felt like my wife was doing that for me.
1: So there were, there were times you feel such a numbness and, um, there would be times we'd be going to bed and just, um, hold each other and, and cry together. And (laughs) I think because we grieved together and um, not, didn't try to put on a face of, oh, everything's okay, because it's not. Your life is never the same. That point in the living room and finding him, it's like that life changed. But I think because we got closer, Um, because we, we did put us as, um, a priority, um, grieving cycle. You have to go through it no matter what you have to go through the grieving cycle. Um, but everybody's has their own cycle. So there's times that I was more of a basket case and there were times where I felt like he needed more comfort, and it, it was a cycle and, it, and some days you're you think you're okay and then something you see something and all of a sudden you see how everybody looks like your child. you see every other teenager with dark hair and you're like, "Oh my gosh, that looks like Jake um, so so that was that that's fascinating, a constant reminder you can say something.
2: yeah. Um- when she said that, that reminded me that shortly afterwards, um, I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but um, I I saw a picture of Ronaldo, who's a famous soccer player, Cristiano Ronaldo. And um, it was, when you looked at it, just that one picture, um, it was like a dead ringer for Jake. And I've seen pictures since then. I'm like, okay, there's some similarities, but it was just so interesting that you have those kind of reminders like that. And and you have to put up with that because you're when you're in that grieving process, you're you're hoping for good days, and you know some days are gonna be better than others, and all it takes is something like that. You're just reading the sports section and um that comes up and it just kind of brings back those memories and and the sadness that comes with it
1: so i think when um especially having now lived through this i think it's helped me with the perspective of um when other people are going through it i know one of the questions to this day i hate <laughs> is How are you doing? It's like you really want to (laughs) know. I'll tell you how I'm really doing. Yeah,
0: bring it, it, bring it.
1: Yeah, and I, I we don't know what to say to people when they're grieving, and and it's hard. Um, the that's the first thing out of our mouths. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you today? You know, and it's like, no, I'm not good. I suck. This is horrible. You know, and and so so that's. That was a lesson for me is not to ask someone how they're doing in instead of that it's how's today.
0: Or how can, or how or how today? can we help? I think is probably or, one of the best things. How well, can I help you? Even, what can I do?
1: Even that is that's okay, but it's more of hey, I'm thinking about you. you know, I love you, you know, I'm here.
0: Well, I think I was in that position with you guys. I didn't know what to do. I think I asked you, what can I do to help? And you guys put me to work.
1: Well, yeah, you helped us. Yeah, but also you took on Haley. And, um, you know, we, we had her, our daughter, and she needed someone. And she had a good relationship with you. And we needed her to have someone to talk to besides us. And cause she had her own guilt and her own, what did I do? And what didn't I do? And, and, and she surprised us like maybe even just a year or two ago and said, when we were in the hospital, how come nobody told me he was dead? And I looked at her and I'm like, what? And I, I had no idea that she had no idea what was going on we had we had so many people that it was pretty overwhelming we were just trying to manage us because we were in shock and you know she was she was um let's see almost 20 she just turned 20 or gonna turn 20 and you know so it wasn't like a little kid but I didn't real we didn't know she didn't really understand until my brother-in-law had pulled her aside and she pulled him aside and finally said tell me straight what's going on and he's the police officer and he's like jake's gone he's passed away and nobody had said that to her but i didn't we didn't know she didn't know that so it's interesting we had so many people there and supporting us and there but it's also then a lot to try to feel like you have to manage so when you say how do you get through that to me it was each other god and the support we had we felt like from our neighbors and family and friends we were surrounded by by earthly angels um i remember my sister had been here for several days and we were just wait, had all the funeral stuff taken care of. And we were waiting for that day to come. And my sister says, well, do you, want, I, do you want me to go ahead? and I can go ahead and go home and then come back for the funeral. What do you need? And I just stared at her. And I remember saying, okay, if, and, and, and she goes, no, I'm going to stay. And I was like so relieved because I was, I thought I can't make any more decisions.
0: (laughs) You're tapped out.
1: I didn't know how to do day to day. And to have people there that were taking care of the day to day. We always joke about in the, you know, the Mormons taking food because somebody died or the funeral or taking, you know, and and like, that's how we respond.
0: It's a real thing.
1: It's a real thing. And guess what? I found out, holy cow, that was such a blessing. I had no idea that that was actually a blessing, not just a nice thing to do. But like, you can't process, you can't think. And I had, we had Addie, we had little kids, we had people here. I'm like, I couldn't have thought, and I love to feed people, but I wasn't in a position to be able to do it and i couldn't even think it i i didn't know how to process it it was like i i'd gone brain dead i didn't know how to cook i didn't i couldn't do it and so to have other people taking care of those needs it it's a weird thing but it was such a blessing um that was just one example but you're right you stepped in we needed to redo the basement so it didn't feel like what happened down there and you know just that whole a whole newness um and and we were so grateful because that and especially for Haley a fresh a fresh start not an erasing the memory yeah but just a, a renewal a renewal of now we move forward
0: you told me at one point and if this is too sacred to share uh you can pass on but you said uh that Jake had visited you in dreams.
2: Yeah, we all had. You
0: Which I thought was, was like, wow, what a awesome
2: I, that is. I had, I I had, um, uh, like almost immediately, um, I'd say within a couple weeks, if I remember correctly, um, he came to me and, um. It was interesting because he was just joking around with me like we do. We would troll each other, so to speak. And um he he came to me and he's like, So look at what you got yourself into now. He was being rhetorical about himself there to me, just like um, You would have said
1: it to him. Yeah. Right.
2: Um that's what he would always try to do is impersonate me to me and so um i i've had that and then what's interesting is maybe once or twice a year he'd show up in a dream and i would still remember hey he's not here um and then i'm like oh i got things to say And you get a little anxious and whatnot, but it was always just, um, you know, a brief little situation, a few minutes maybe. Um, But recently he's shown up a little bit here and there, but when he does, that thought that um, he's died isn't there and then when i wake up i'm like dang it i wish i um could have cornered him longer had, right, yeah, could had, control that <clears throat> um that situation you know so um that's uh here we are 8 years later so he still shows up here and there um but it's just little brief things but it's i think the problem is is that they're so normal it's just like a little event in life and then he's just there and then before you realize that he's not supposed to be there he's gone.
1: So Haley saw him a lot and um, at the time our oldest Steve was on his mission and for the next month um, and that and that was heart-wrenching having to call that mission president and make that phone call and that we did Skype and it was that was probably the hardest of anything because they were super close and he was his little Bubby and it was that was very 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 hard but during that next month he had several tender mercies um of things that happened when he his companion They were APs together, and um, he and Michael were together, and and it was time for Michael to be transferred back. In their mission, there was two different areas and two different languages, and they had brought him over, Michael over, from the other language, and they were APs together. And so it was an interesting combination anyway. But Michael was there for, for him, and he went to go to the airport he had said his goodbyes to the people and and he went to the little island airport to leave and they said um oh we're not going to fly today and so he's like okay so he stayed another week and and then he goes back the next week and they said oh we're out of gas we don't have any gas for the airplane so we're not going and so he's like okay it happened 3 times he was supposed to leave and didn't leave. And the third time when he didn't leave, it was the next day that uh, we had to call Steve and let him know that what had happened to Jake. And um, But he needed Michael to be there and the Lord knew and prepared for him to be able to stay and be there for him. Um, on the islands where they were, people would introduce and say, how many kids do you have? And they would say, well, I have four living, but eight that have died. So they had such a high death rate of children that they buried kids all the time. And so they would say to Steve, oh, your brother died. Um, Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Let's go on. No big deal. no, no. And it, they had, on the first birthdays, they would have these huge celebrations, because if the baby lived to be one, then they pretty much would make it. But just a really high death rate. And so he needed Michael that was from Cedar City, Utah, you know, to, to be there. And, they're, and to this day, they're, they're bros. They are, you know, where totally
0: was he Where was he serving his mission again?
1: In the Marshall Islands. OK. Marshall islands. so anyway having he was with yuki steve all the time he would say oh yeah jake's been with me and and we're like you know what you're doing his mission prep you're training him you know so they were there for each other he was training him and he was there for his brother and so the next two weeks to a month about he was he was in the marshall islands um the other one is Addie was seven turning eight and, um, he would come in.
0: And Addie is, for those that don't know, Addie is Jake's nephew, correct?
1: Right. And he was living with us at the time and he would come in out of his room and, and say, um, Oh, Jake, Jake was in there with me or Jake was here and no big deal. And he wasn't scared. It was comforting. It was, yeah, Jake came and saw me and, Um, In fact, I remember your family was over one time and remember that your boy came, Matthew came running up from downstairs and said, was scared and came to you and said, he saw that dead kid or something, the kid that had died. Do you remember that?
0: I don't remember that.
1: Yeah. And you, we had our family picture there and you said, well, who was it? And he said, that kid right there. And he pointed to Jake in the family picture. So he and Atticus were downstairs playing and Jake came down and was watching him play or whatever or there when they were playing and sitting in the chair or whatever. And Matthew is scared. Matthew, he ran up and Addy, I asked Addy about it and he goes, Oh yeah, it was Jay. So, oh. so that was fascinating to me. And so I'll be honest, I was a little bit ticked. I'm like, wait a minute. Where's my he, turn. Where's my turn. This isn't fair. Every, he's seen everybody. I'm the mom. Him. And it's me, what? And and I was a little bit frustrated, you know, and I know you're not, you know it it happens when it needs to happen. And talking it through with some friends, you know, it's like maybe you don't need that. And I'm like, well, yes, I do. Well, then I'm like, well, maybe I really don't need it, but I want it, you know. Yeah. Um, and then it was the following October. Um, Steve's best friend from Las Vegas called me and said, or messaged me and said, um, I need to share a message with you. And he'd been listening to general conference and felt Jake um, and, and asking him to deliver a message to me. And he was kind of, he was, it was Saturday afternoon. He was kind of doing stuff and listening to conference and had the thought and was busy and listening and multitasking and, and he didn't take action. And he said, the next day I was sitting there listening, contemplating and the message came again. You need to tell mom this. And so he says, so I'm writing it now. So he sent me the message of what he's, what, he felt like he got from Jake was um, that he loved us and he was sorry Um, he had a choice to come back um, that he was happy Um, and then he missed his family and he and he loved us and um, that hit me so hard that I was like okay that's my message. I'm, I'm good. And, and I was. That was very meaningful and very, very helpful. And it was still interesting to me. Like, why didn't you just tell me that? And I thought, well, maybe I wouldn't have slowed down enough or listened enough or, you know, to get the message. And um, so it had to come a different way. But I was grateful for that. And then after that point, I think I relaxed a little bit and um, and then I've had several dreams since that I had one probably a month or two after that happened, where he he came and was there at the side of my bed and and um, I was able to touch his cheek and and just know that he was he was okay so so,
2: I, so another thing I um, would like to share um, I'd like to say I'm a pretty good guy, and um, uh, I've got a positive attitude. Um, but I had a couple things in life that are not fair, and one of the other ones would be the um, demise of a marriage. And so I was the unwilling participant in my divorce, and um, actually went through that divorce twice, and. I can say that the divorce is like a death of the relationship, so to speak. Now, if you're on the wrong end of the relationship and you're um, being abused in whatever way or so, you may not um, feel that. But I think when you have an unwilling person that says we should work harder or um this relationship is meaningful to and then the relationship has to die um uh i just remember that that um the divorce had happened before uh jake passed but the despair was eerily similar um you um get sort of taken over and it just um, for the first few months uh, it's highs and lows, good days and bad days, Um, but uh, having experienced both of those, um, there's, um, that's something that for the people that maybe have had their heart broken that way and, um, had that happen and you know, the, um, for whatever reason you're driving down the street and the next thing you know, you're crying and all the connections you make to your past relationship. Well, likewise, um, um, that I felt like I went through a lot of that. Um, with Jake for months later. Like I couldn't go to the gym or um, uh, wrestling things or, you know, oh, there's where we went fishing, there's where we went golfing. All of those things were just triggers. And so um, that's something you just learn to process. And the only way that you really get good at it is you get beat up enough um over time and each time you get a little bit better at dealing with it um but it's a painful long thing it was for me
0: well i have like maybe one final question and then i know we could probably go on and on and on um maybe two final questions so it's eight years it's eight years past um and you may have touched on this What's the struggle like, if at all, I don't know. Um, What's it like now? And then the final question after that is, you know, what do you want? What do you want people to know? You know, or maybe a question I haven't asked, but what do you want people to know? You know, something that a parting thought that they can leave with and maybe do something with.
1: I think now, um, you know, we still have moments here and there, but they're, but it's less. And I think now when we, when we see things or we're doing things as a family, or we see the little grandkids coming along, it's more, um, Oh dang, Jake would have loved this. Excuse me. We tried to go on, um, for wings. He loved wings. And usually on his birthday, we go have wings and we, talk about him and laugh and and it's usually laughing and all the silly ridiculous things he used to say and his little isms and
0: um, he was he was so witty uh, i was always oh. impressed and you know some days i wanted to smack him but right, right. he was so he had to be really smart to be that witty and i was right. I it was just always like wow dude stuff, yeah
1: like on the, fly, on the fly like like how do you even do that i mean he would just
0: he's very aware
2: Yeah,
1: he just come up with crap that I would, uh,
2: yeah, yeah. So with the wing thing, just to interrupt a little bit here, um, (coughs) the wing thing is something we do on his birthday, but it's done all over the nation, which is um, his brothers in North Carolina and currently, and his sister's in uh, Georgia, Atlanta area, and another sister in um, Vegas. So um, all of us... And if we happen to be together, then we do it um, together. But that's our little thing to um, to be able to remember him and um, celebrate what we had with him. We do it that way. Um, likewise, uh, every year, we just went up uh, this weekend and visited his gravesite up in uh, Logan, Utah. And um, we put our flowers there and, I just always take a little time to clean his area and reflect and just kind of remember things. But um, I think now the way that I don't feel as strong emotions as I did in the past is I try to live my life so that Jake gets to Um, see that um, that event didn't ruin me or um, rob me and um, it's for me it's all about um, can I reach out to somebody that's having those inner struggles like he did and maybe be the difference Um, without even identifying the problem, so to speak, but just being there for somebody or feeling like I'm a little more in tune to, they need a shoulder or they just need a good word or they need to be validated in some way. I feel that I'm pretty sensitive to that. And so um, I kind of feel like Jake's my prompter when it comes to stuff like that, that um, you, you get this, urge or um impression that you know you should say or do something um so i try to live a life that um i think he's watching and that he would be happy with and that's kind of why how i can still be in contact with him but he just sees me going out there trying to do good things
1: so (laughs) the other thing um the other thought i had um that i was going to share earlier and i forgot but um it kind of comes back to the your question of the here and now what how do we do it now but um and and i think it just hit right with steve's comment about uh reaching out so one of the things i noticed having lived here before the family all moved here um I think as a community we're um, maybe a little more closed than we should be and watching, i served in young women's programs and watching other kids move in to, um, to any area that's already established. Um, those kids really go through a tough thing um, of being accepted and being a part and I think, i could I think we as a, as wards and neighbors and communities uh, need to be better about it, but I remember one of my young women that moved in. she moved in beginning of her I think her junior year, and beautiful girl, unbelievably talented, could sing like angel an angel she was amazing. She tried out for you know all of the the singing different performing groups and made nothing and she came from her high school where she was involved in a lot of things and came here for with and got nothing and you know i i think uh, you know when i talked to the school about this too it's like my kids were the new kids and um and they were a little rough around the edges and a little um different than being raised right here and weren't accepted so much and so when our kids don't feel like they're um and 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 i'm not saying they complained about it so much these are my observations um and we didn't emphasize it and make a big deal we just tried to find friends and um and and go on but i think we can do a better job of including and and teaching our kids and saying hey you know let's bring over somebody who's new or i i don't i don't know but
0: yeah, and, and I, it, I call it you know be a, be, a, be a friend of the friendless look for people right. yeah it it right. doesn't take very much
1: Instead of having, well, no, this is our group and this is it. Um,
0: no, no, no new no. people allowed.
1: Right. TikTok, the game is locked. Yeah. And I know my daughter was trying out for cheerleader and I was just dying because I thought this is not going to end well. <clears throat> and but it was her dream. And she'd come from a small town in Oklahoma, you know, and and it was her dream. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be because you hate to see your kids fail. Right. Yeah. but i knew it was i'm like i i knew there was a a thing here that it was kind of pre-programmed of who was going to be the cheerleaders and who's moms and who's this and um i, I kind of warned her about that and but i was like i wasn't going to stop her from from trying and of course she didn't make it and um and and again that wasn't I'm not saying she should have been a cheerleader, but I'm just saying it is. Everybody knew it was a pre-programmed deal. Everybody knew whose moms were already um, on the committees to select and who, you know. Anyway,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But she ended up a big high school was way too much for her, and we ended up doing a charter. And um, there were 40 kids in her graduating class, and she was a cheerleader, and she was the chair captain and Steve was the cheer dad and took him to practice at five 30 in the morning. And then she was on the debate team. And so she had, she got to be the big fish in the little pond and, and you know, that, that was great. That was great for her. But anyway, I was just thinking about that and I thought we need to do a better job in our homes and our communities of when someone moves in near us that we're, including them and, um, making sure they know you're a part of us. And so I think, I think that's important.
0: Yeah. We, we, I think we've all been the new kid at some point in our lives at, at every stage. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a perfect way to kind of wrap this up is just, you know, be a little kinder to people and, you know, maybe stories like like Jake's can be avoided, you know,
1: Yeah. The other, the other thing that has brought us um, some peace and happiness is when we've had some of Jake's friends that have um,
2: made changes, made
1: changes in their life. And, and I was at a a shower, a wedding shower for one of the really good friends since fifth grade. And um, she said, she was introducing everyone. And she said, she introduced me and she said um, her son was my fiance's best friend. And because of him, he went on a mission. He made changes in his life. And now I get to have him now and have a temple marriage. And I didn't know that. I mean, I knew this kid went on a mission and was doing great, but I didn't know that that, kid was getting into some deep water. Um, anyway, so, so we've had several that have said, um, you know, Jake was my, my saving platform. Yeah. That's when I went, Whoa, I've got to do something different. And anyway, so we, that's, that's what's brought us peace. If we've had two, two letters from recipients of kidneys, of his kidneys. And, um, I know his liver was donated to, and then we've had kids that have come forward and said, Jake, Jake help me change my life. So for all the crap that happened, our prayer and hope was that something
2: good could come of it. So another thing along that line, when she's <laughs> talking about that, when we're talking about, um, uh, maybe some, uh, other consequences as a result of it. Um, one of the girls that was going to the funeral on the way to the funeral was involved in a car accident and had a traumatic brain injury and her whole life, she had this promising life set up for her and it certainly took, um, the the course was altered and she's out and functioning and everything. Today. You're very she's well of her, it. you
1: know yes. her. So,
2: Um, that situation was uh, a consequence of this big problem even though she was nowhere near that problem and so uh, you know her life is different and then we know some of Jake's friends um, that their eyes were opened and their life is different and now that we look at them in their situations and see them in happy and healthy situations and know that they were Jake's buddies and they were all on this road that didn't lead to there, um, at least that offers um, some kind of a um, consolation for what we've gone through to see that um, there's some good that came out of it. Then I think to kind of wrap it all up Back in the day, um, Mom used to say, "Wait till Dad gets home," and uh, the the makeup of the house was, "Mom was the nurturer and Dad was the enforcement." And I think when we talk about what this whole experience and the things my wife was touching on, we need to have nurturers as well as enforcement if we're going to be able to, so, so it's going to take that team effort you know you got to have people there that are supporting the kids but on the same token you can't just idolize the kids and poor poor buddy hey um, what can we do um, there needs to be the dad side of the deal too that says we've got laws we've got rules and if we're not doing both of those things. um, Just one done in excess is probably too much and pushes kids away. I think you got to have that balance so that um, the kids can feel appreciated and still respect the rules.
0: Perfect ending. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for sharing this. Um, You know, Shiny moments, warts, ugly moments, and all. It's I think it's very valuable that you know people hear this, and and so I really appreciate both your time uh, for coming yeah, on today. Yeah,
2: and um, I think I'm speaking for my wife. She doesn't know what I'm about to say, which is always <laughs> scary for her. Right. But um, anybody out there that wants to get a hold of us and needs to process or whatnot, that's experienced or got questions. Um, you know, because you're in the middle of what we were in, um, we're always there as far as that's concerned to, to have an ear, to give advice, um, and share experiences with, it. so.
0: Yeah. How um, can, how can people reach out to you?
2: Well, they could reach out to you and you're the connection to us, you know, so you can get us both together. Yeah. Okay. That would be- yeah. Well,
1: and also our email, your email.
2: You know, or, or on Facebook, we're both on Facebook too. Yeah. yeah. I'll
0: put, I'll put all your links in the, in the show notes. Okay. So awesome. All right. Is, is thanks, right. Uh, you're Thank welcome you. guys. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening to the parish, the thought show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us.